Vipata, coming up towards the end of uh, March. Uh, it is on the subject of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're in a war, and these are our enemies. Christians from early generations would have given the answer from their catechisms. Our enemies are these, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The phrase has a long history, going back to at least 1500 or 1000 AD. But in English, it comes to us through the Anglican prayer book, called Book of Common Prayer, from the 1500s onwards, from the beginning of the Reformation in England. In the litany, which is the service every Sunday, it says, from all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. And in baptism... An adult who is to be baptized is asked this question. Do you renounce the devil and all his works, the vain pomp and glory of the world with all covetous desires of the same and the carnal desires of the flesh so that you will not follow nor be led by them? But this is not just tradition because these three things are seen in a number of places in scripture. First of all, the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit. It was an object of desire for knowledge and power. Uh, Human appetite saw the fruit was good to eat, and the devil was inciting Eve and Adam to take it and eat it. So there was a a human appetite, there was a desire to be somebody and something, and the devil was engaged in it, in the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tempted to work a miracle, to to gratify his own hunger. He was tempted to take a shortcut to gain his rightful position, as the rule of the world. In other words, cut out the cross and do it this way. And he was tempted to bow down and worship the devil. In Ephesians 2, it said, these things happen in a different order, in different places. Our condition as sinners, Paul says, we, before we were born of God, before we came into Christ Jesus, we lived according to the course of this world. We were ruled by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the devil. And we were, were given over to the appetites of our human nature, fallen human nature, which is flesh. Talk about that another week, of course. And in the parable of the seed and sower, I, I really only thought about this this week, there are three things in, in the parable which cause the seed or the word of the gospel to be unfruitful. And this is how Jesus explains them. First of all, the seed that was snatched away by the birds there, Jesus says the wicked one or Satan or the devil comes and snatches away what was sown in those hearers. So the problem there is the devil. Second one, some seed starts to grow, but the soil is shallow. And the hearer, again, Jesus' words, has no root in himself, but he's only temporary, believes for a while. Problem there, human nature. The problem's in themselves, human nature. Third one, some plants are choked by weeds or thorns. And Jesus says the worries of this world or the destruction of riches, deceitfulness of riches, sorry, the pleasures of this life, the desire for other things, choke the word. The problem there is the world. Now, these three things work in combination. They overlap and interconnect, but we need to consider them separately, one at a time. uh, So this is three short sermons rather than one very, very long one. We're going to look today at the world. But before we get to the world, I want to remind you of this. The Lord Jesus came and overcame the world, the flesh and the devil, and calls us to be overcomers in and with through him. He says, these things I've spoken to, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a verse you don't want to pick up on the morning and as your verse of the day, but there it is. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the seven letters to seven churches, beginning of Revelation, and again and again the Lord Jesus is saying, to him who overcomes, come on, come with me on this one. 
To him who overcomes, he says, and at the end of Revelation, it appears again, he who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And Romans 8, famous passage of scripture, says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that isn't just that we're kept from them, that we overcome them. Now we're going to take the world today. When the New Testament speaks of the world, it doesn't generally refer to the earth or to nature, but rather to human society, to human culture. And it's then used in two very different ways. First of all, nearly everyone will know John 3.16, God so loved the world. It's the same word, but that God loved the human beings. God loved the human race. He loves us. He sent his son into the world so that the world through him might be saved. He loved lost people and gave his son. But on the other hand, human society is godless and opposed to him. It is called, in some script, one scripture, this present evil age. The world's system, its attitudes or spirit, we might say, its philosophies, its ethics, or rather its lack of them, is contrary to God and his kingdom. And these two threads run through the Bible, through the teaching of the Lord Jesus, through the writings of the apostles and the New Testament. The Lord Jesus prepares, tells us to be prepared for conflict and confrontation with the unbelieving world. John 5, 8, 15, 8, sorry, 18, sorry. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the, the world hates you. And I haven't time to go through the, the great prayer of Jesus in John 17. I, I'd love to read it, but there isn't time to go through that today. But in the prayer of Jesus, John 17, and of course this is the night before he goes to the cross, he thanks the Father for the followers who the Father's given him out of the world. And he doesn't pray for the world, but he prays for them and all who will believe his word. He prays for them because they are remaining in the world, but they're not of the world. But he prays that the Father will keep them from the evil one. Again, this contention with the world. They're going to be living in the world. The world's going to be against them. Father, keep them from the evil one. And then the world, as it runs through 1 John again, the two strands are there. God loves the world in the sense he loves lost people. But the world in its culture and its systems and its ways and its philosophies and its structures is contrary to him. I mean, I'm going to read a few bits of 1 John. Uh, I'll read you this bit first. 1 John 2, verse 12 onwards. I write you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write you fathers because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. And then he says it again. I write you little children because you've known the father. I write you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, I don't think that John's writing it to literal age groups, but to levels of growth as Christian believers. You can be old in years, but still be a new believer or an immature believer. Notice the overcoming comments there. John doesn't say that overcoming belongs only to the very mature of Christian believers. 
but at least those who've grown beyond infancy. Young men, women, can be overcomers. And then, John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me read on. For all that is in the world, the lust or appetite of the flesh, the lust or appetite of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, and the lust of it, the appetites within it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, doesn't want to know us, in a sense, because it did not know him. Verse 13, do not marvel, my brothers, my friends, if the world hates you. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. John 5, verse 4, whatever is or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And lastly, verse 19 of John, 1 John 5. We know that we're of God, and the whole world lies under the sway or influence of the wicked one. The world is implacably opposed to God, and therefore to us as Christians. Paul writes, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And just go back to 1 John 2, 16 there. Because it lists there three things that happen in this world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the word lust there is an old English word. It's not very well translated. It should have been updated, even in my preferred version of the NKJV. It, Im- it implies appetite, craving, your longing. The thing you long for, you, 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 you daydream about, the thing you're wanting. And first of all, those are human, uh, physical and internal appetites, things that appeal to bodily appetites, including food, sexual gratification, intoxication, comfort, pleasure, luxury. Think how much of the world is geared around those things. Then it's the craving or the appetite of the eye, seeing or wanting to possess. Covetousness, greed, materialism. Again, sexual fascination, the sexual allure. The pride of life. One version says, the boasting of what a man has and does. It's about pride, ego, self, ambition, competitiveness, fame. Now tell me what social media and advertising are all about, because it's really about those things. The economies of this world run more on those things than on the real stuff, such as agriculture, and food supply. Isn't that strange? Far more money, far more effort spent on that than almost anything else. The world offers us, this is one of my little sayings, pleasure, pride, and power. Again, it was seen there in the beginning. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, it was a tree desirable to make one wise. Those three things. Seen in the temptation of Jesus, stones to bread, all this is yours. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. So John, who wrote the gospel that bears his name, follows up the teachings and the prayers of the Lord Jesus in his letters with a great concern for us, for his friends, that we know how to overcome the world. 1 John 2.15 again. Do not love the world. 
all the things in the world. This godless system and society that's opposed to God and his kingdom, and therefore to us too. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is a world we must not love, just as we're instructed to shun the love of money and wealth. We must discern what that world is and set ourselves to resist it. I just feel to say as well, you know, that we need to be conscious of this contention with the world and with wealth and with loving the world and loving money. If we're unconscious of that, then we're unconscious. We're asleep. And if we're not looking to overcome the world, the flesh and the devil, and also wealth and materialism and the love of money, then we have been overcome and we're certainly not pursuing being overcomers. They punch this in and go home now. So, sorry, wrong direction. What is it to be worldly? Well, some of us growing up in Pentecostal church or Seventh-day Adventist church or maybe other churches too would have known there was, there was an unwritten don't list. There was a list of things you must not do if you're going to be a Christian or if you're going to be a real Christian. You know, that list changed over time, didn't it? But it included at times things like drinking, smoking, swearing, dancing, going to cinema, going to theatre, stuff that, according to the common idea of things, Christians should not do. Now, some of those things are warnings, are not unsensible. But do they define worldly? No. And if they do, or if some of them do, then why do those things define being worldly? Here's a quote from Lawrence Richards. I don't know who he is. I found this somewhere else. I should look him up. Worldliness is not a matter of engaging in those things that some question. In other words, ticking the list. It is unthinkingly adopting the perspectives, values, and attitudes of our culture without bringing them under the judgment of God's word. Here's the punch of one on this one. It is carrying on in our lives as if we did not know Jesus. The very heart of the matter of worldliness is this, self. Self takes the place of God. The fall of Satan was, I will be as God. The temptation of Satan to Adam and to Eve was, you shall be as God. The godless mind says, I don't, why do I need God? I can do this myself. We are still standing there in the garden with Adam and Eve, deceived into thinking, we don't need him. We can be what we want to be without him. So the very heart of worldliness is selfishness, self-seeking, self-interest, self-advancement, and self-publicity. Again, my mind goes to social media, but let's leave it there. This world's culture is counter-cultural to the kingdom of God and therefore to us as Christians. We are called to live as a counter-culture to the culture of our world, our society. And we live with conflict and confrontation with the unbelieving world because of this clash of cultures, collision of different worldviews and the fundamental, foundational values. We don't think that way anymore. We've been liberated from it. The world is opposed to God. Worldliness is opposed to godliness, the pursuit of knowing him. So what is not godly 
is worldly. That's much bigger than a don't list. We need to weigh carefully all that the world presents and proposes to us and measure it. What is this social media? What is this advert? What is this TV program pushing to us? What is it appealing to? What selfish ambition or appetite is it driving towards? What agenda is the world? And it's not consciously doing it. It's because it's the way it works. What is it pushing at me in this thing? I remember when I came back from being away in, in Zimbabwe, in Africa, this is years ago now, for, for two weeks, nearly, was it nearly three weeks, two weeks, and as I came out and we were in a car coming out of Heathrow, I thought, what is this? I was being shouted at by the adverts, and I hadn't seen those adverts for weeks. And when we got indoors and later on the TV was on, I thought, what am I looking at here? I'd been detached from that noise. And it was shock. It was a culture shock for me to engage with it again. My friends, we are being thumped at, thundered at every day of our lives by the world. And we need to measure measuring it and reacting to it, not just receiving whatever goes on. If, we're not, if we are not of the world, we cannot love the world or be conformed to the world, to conform, to compromise with the values of this world, this present evil age, is worldliness, and we are then overcome, not overcomers. James, good old punchy James, makes an even stronger statement. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now I'm going to give you the remedy against the world. I could go to a number of scriptures, but this one says pretty much all I need to say today. There's one key scripture that says this is what we must do. And it's Romans 12. I'm going to read 1 to 3. I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, because of God's amazing grace, that you present your bodies, your whole being, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Famously, Moffat's translation, do not let the world press you into its mold. You're under pressure. Do not give in to the pressure. Resist it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What's Paul going on to talk about there? Deal with the pride issue. Pride will trip you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let me headline those to you again. Devote your whole being to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to the world. Resist. Rather, be transformed and renewed in your thinking. Come back again and again to the measure of Scripture by which you measure the world and its claims. And it's precious. And do not think of yourself more highly than God's measure has given you. Deal with pride. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus calls us to be overcomers. In the world you will have trouble because you're in this culture clash, you're in this kingdom clash. But do not be dismayed. I have 
overcome the world. He was implying, I'm with you, I'll help you. You will overcome these things as you trust in me. It's what overcomes the world, what overcomes all the trials of life, our faith. Not how big I am and how boastful I am and how I know I can make it. No, it's how much I can sincerely and firmly and humbly trust in Jesus. That's what brings us through. So whether you've been counted as a Christian for a long time or you've never before now, before today, confessed faith in him, I want to ask you these two last words, questions. Sorry. Number one, do you believe in Jesus, the Son of God? Do you trust him? He came and conquered all our enemies, Satan, sin, the world, death. Secondly, will you follow him and be taught by him to also overcome in and through him and to live day by day, increasingly, in the freedom that is the birthright of the children of God? Next week, we'll look at the flesh. But today... As we take communion again, and then we'll have a last song. We're going to go over time today, but that's okay. <laughs> we really much appreciate the worship session. Lord Jesus, we thank you that by the cross, you were not defeated. You brought about the defeat of all of our enemies. Lord Jesus, we do not want to make camp with the enemy. We don't treat lost people as the enemy, but behind those faces there is a society, a culture which is godless. And we want to be in, we want to recognize that we are in conflict and confrontation with those values, with that thinking, with that society. And we are not of this world and we thank you so much Lord Jesus that even before you went to the cross you of things unsigned as we didn't pray for mics and batteries today but there you go <laughs> Lord we thank you that you overcame all things for us in our place and that you in us become also the overcomer you do it again and again and again in us and through us as we trust in you as we take in your word and are made strong by it to combat all the pressure the appeal of a godless world we thank you again that the next day after you prayed that magnificent prayer, you went to the cross and sealed it all up and made it all happen. So we take again the bread. Your body broken for us. And we give you thanks, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord.